0: Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. If you don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. I am part of the preaching team during this time of transition for our church. And it is an honor. And I would ask that you would pray with me as we get into God's word this morning. Father, we come to your word and we don't desire just education; we desire transformation. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, these these are the Turu people. They live in uh, Papua on an island in Papua, Indonesia. They live in the valleys, down in the swampy areas, where there's a lot of disease, malaria. There are poisonous insects, there are poisonous snakes, there are, well, as we were told, everything in the jungle is designed to kill you. And up until about 40 years ago, these people were headhunters and cannibals. And the village of Turumo was a dark place. It was an evil place. It was a place where Satan had a foothold. It's hard to see him, but the man right in the center of this picture, in the doorway of this hut, he's their chief. He's been their chief for a long time. And 30-some years ago... He heard rumors that there was a village up in the mountains where something had happened that changed everything. Life had been completely redone for the good. And he wanted to find out what that was. And so he took a several day journey up into the mountains, hoping that he could find this village. He didn't have Google Maps, okay? And he didn't know when he got there how he would be received. You see, these villages, these tribes, different tribes, weren't always welcomed and often were attacked when they came into another village. And so he didn't know what to expect, but he went up there and he found them. And they welcomed him. And they said, oh, yes. Several years ago, some missionaries came to our village. They told us about this God who loved us, created us, sent his son named Jesus to die for us and save us from our sins. And since that time, everything has changed in our village. Well, this chief, that was 30-some years ago, went back to his village and he went, I want that for our people. And he began to ask this God that he didn't know to send missionaries to their village. Let's fast forward to about seven and a half years ago, roughly 30 years after this chief had first encountered a village who had encountered this God. And... um, Nathan and Becky Foggerly, who are missionaries that we support. Nathan is a pilot for MAF, and he flies into the jungles of Indonesia. And they came to visit our church here, and they stayed with us. And that evening, Nathan and I were talking, and he said, Mark, I've got this crazy idea I want to share with you. There's this tribe, and he told me a little of their story, and he said, and there are three missionary families that want to go in to this village. And this is three families. This isn't just three men, single men, but families. And he goes, so they need houses so that they can go in and stay there, and they are, they're required to build their own houses. And here's my crazy idea. I'd like to find some men from America willing to go over and help build their houses. He said, this is going to be extremely expensive. And this is going to be extremely dangerous. And I went, (laughs) Tell me more. I, I think as guys, there's something in us that just goes, Oh, I want, I want to be in. I'm in. And so he just laid this out. He said, I just feel like God's in this. And so I started sharing with other men here at Meadows, and almost everybody I shared with went, oh, I want in. As time went on, though, what happens is there is a big financial burden to do this. There is a time thing. It was over two weeks that you'd have to take your vacation and travel. We flew on 19 flights from here to there and back again. And so it boiled down to four of us that could go. And we went. And we didn't go alone. You see, did I worry about certain things? I absolutely did at first because one of the first hurdles was we have to raise a lot of money in a very short time. We had about a month to raise a lot of money. And I went, okay God, like I don't think that can happen. This money is too big and the time is too short. I don't know that that can happen. And I was told, you know, I think that if you don't get the money in this time, God is saying you shouldn't go. <sighs> okay, I was amped up. I'm ready to go. Uh, okay, God, like, I don't know. And Jeff Hagen, who I hope you all know, he's one of our elders now, he was, he was uh, heading up missions here, and he came to me and he said, Mark, I want you to get your, get your team ready to go. I think God is in this. You need to get ready. I needed to hear that. But I still had all kinds of doubt and worry. Until just over a week later, Jeff had scheduled to meet with the four of us to kind of start planning out this trip. And he came, and this was just over a week later. And we're like, how do we raise this much? We send out letters, we do this, we can have bake sales. Like, like we're going to have bake sales, but we would have people help us. And he comes and he sits down and he says, the first thing I need to tell you, you are fully funded. The money came in in just over a week. And then somebody, one of the guys in the group, said, "Well, hang on, because I've got—I pulled money out of the out of the little basket that people were putting. I have this money too." And we counted out; it was several hundred dollars more. And then we said, "Well, hang on, what?" And we realized we have more money than we need. We found out later we were going to need some of that money because we had to get all kinds of vaccinations. We were shot up with so many things to keep us alive, right? Like, and they go, wait, you're going where? We literally had to get a $600 shot, each of us, because they go, okay, there is a small little area in the world, and like, if you're going there, you need this. Like, uh. But we literally, in the next few weeks, had to tell people, Stop giving. We have more than enough. Think of that. And here's what it taught me. What am I worried about? We came up with a phrase that said, we're in the middle of the story. So whenever something would come up against us and it seemed like there's a hurdle too big, we'd go, oh, we're in the middle of the story. Because we said, every good story in the Bible, God says, I want you to know it's me. And so I'm going to put you in a place where you can't solve this. But when I show up, you will know it's me. And so we said the middle of the story is always really hard, right? That's where the rough is. And you're like, oh, God, what are you doing? And so when we would hit one of those things like buying our tickets and the schedule, and Jeff, back there, he knows. Like we're like, ah, it doubled in a day almost, right? It's several thousand dollars more to get our tickets. And we're like, oh, no. And? We told Jeff, Jeff, we're in the middle of the story, man. This is not it. We'll wait. We'll know when God shows up. And just a couple days later, Jeff texted me and said, check your email. We got the schedule that we wanted in the airports that we wanted at a a lower price than we expected. We said, this is it. We saw God when we were in the jungle. When we came back, I swear it felt like a parade where people were celebrating go, we didn't know you were going to make it back. Literally. I had a dad of one of the young men that went, said, I was, I was preparing what I'd say for my son's funeral because I was filled with angst. And you guys, you prayed. And I can tell you, people around the world pray. We have, I've never experienced the support of people like that. It was a celebration of what God had done. And so here's my question today. If I've seen all that, I experienced all that, I saw God move in, in, in a dark place, then why do I worry so much about so many things today? And that's the question, because I don't think I'm alone. I think we all find ourselves being anxious. And here in today's verses... From Jesus' sermon, he says, don't be anxious. And he goes, sure, I'll try not to. But I think he's calling us to something more, and I think that's the example he's giving. But there's a point that he's making that's beyond that, and that's what we want to get to today. So let me read again a portion of this. Jesus said, therefore... I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This, therefore, connects us with last week's. Now, we've taken a week break and we come back to Jesus' sermon, but he was just preaching. And it comes on the heels of when he said last week, don't store up treasures here on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven because you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money or your stuff. I think Jesus is assuming if he says you can't do both, you're going to want to choose God. And he says, if you choose God, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Here he says it again, listen. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you, that you need all of them. You see, Jesus starts out here by laying an argument that this God, look around you at what he does to his creation, the temporary things that are worth so much less than you are. Look, look at the birds, look at the beauty. Now, we live in the Midwest, we see, oh, a cardinal, oh, yeah. My daughter lives in Panama. You see crazy birds down there, colorful. And he says, look it. But he's not talking about their beauty. He's going, God feeds them. He feeds them. He takes care of them. Look at the flowers. Look at just the beauty of all that God's creation is. And these are things that are here today and gone tomorrow. How much more valuable are you than these things? And you can say, that's true. and I think Jesus was saying, this God, he is trustworthy. He is a trustworthy God. But here's the thing. If you're like me, I go, these are not the things I worry about. I'm guessing for most of us today, you did not wake up and go, oh, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? You might have said, what will I wear? i got to get ready for church. What will I wear? But it's not because you didn't have anything to wear. And you didn't say, what will I eat? You probably said, where are we going to eat, right? These, and if you're honest, you say, Mark, these are not the things that, that cause me to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to go back to sleep. These are not the things that are on my mind throughout the day. These are not the things that consume me and make me anxious. And really, maybe the things that make me anxious are things like this, and I was thinking through this this week, especially this week. Watching the news and seeing little ones shot down and killed. And that weighs heavy on your heart. And maybe you have kids or grandkids. And you go, what's going to happen to them? And, and you can say, oh, statistically, they're not. No, be quiet. What's going to happen to them? Because there is so much in this world that wants to take them away from what God desires. Who will they hang out with? What will they be taught? What will their lives be like? What will their jobs be like? Will they have enough? Who will they marry? What will their families be? And we we go down that road. And I know that keeps us up at night sometimes. Maybe you don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear, but you go, but my finances, that keeps me up at night. I'm anxious about that. I'm on a fixed income, or I only make so much, and have you seen the price of gas, and everything's going up, and somewhere we're running out of money, and I can't pay bills, and I don't know what we're going to do, and maybe I take on another job, or we stop doing this or start doing that, and you're like, ah. That keeps me up at night. Or maybe you're retired, or you're heading that way, like like I am, right? I see it out there in the not-so-distant future, and you're like, "Um, my 401k just turned into a 201k. (laughs) Will I have enough? I need to start hoarding because I don't think I have enough to make it to the end. And those things keep me up at night. Or maybe it's your health. And you realize how quickly life turns on a dime when your health suddenly changes, right? And you're like, oh, maybe it's because it has, or maybe you're worried it will, or some, your kids, your grandkids, your loved ones. And you go, oh, what's going to happen? And maybe you go, Mark, can we talk? because it's great for Jesus to say look at the look at the stuff around you but these things weigh heavy on me and make me anxious and if i'm really honest with you make me go is this a trustworthy god is he if he could stop this stuff then why doesn't he if he's loving why does he allow these things is he trustworthy I think that's a question we have to ask because if we put on a happy face and say don't worry, we're pretending and we'll talk about that but this lie, and I say it's a lie, is God trustworthy is a lie that was sold all the way at the beginning in Genesis if we go back to the beginning God creates all of this stuff and says it is good He has this perfect relationship with his creation. Man and women with God walk and talk in the garden. Husband and wife, perfect relationship. And Satan comes up and says, Is God trustworthy? Really? He's keeping something from you. You see that fruit there that he said, Don't touch that, don't eat that? You know why. Why? He doesn't want you to know what happens when you eat it, but you'll be like him because he's not trustworthy. And they fall for the lie and the rebellion starts, the fall, and we see how quickly the spiral of sin takes us as human beings where suddenly there's broken relationship with the Creator God. Suddenly we see instantly well, the woman that you gave me, she's the one to blame. And we see this break in relationship between husband and wife. We see the children of Adam and Eve quickly. One brother kills the other. And you just have to read very sh- a small section of Genesis to realize how quickly, as humans, we fall into this downward spiral, this evil spiral of rebellion against this loving creator God. And so let me just say, I think this question of is God trustworthy, because I heard it in the back of my head this week as I watched the news, and it's not just this week. We were talking before service, like you scroll through social media and it just makes you go, oh. And I have come to the conclusion that is the lie that the evil one wants us to buy into. Is God trustworthy? Because here's what I believe we look back at the beginning, that's the lie. We see the fall because we chose it. We chose to rebel. And then we see the promise of God that says, But I will send the promised one, the Messiah, to redeem and restore. And there's this promise at the very beginning of this one coming. And now here we are in Matthew, listening to this promised one, this Messiah, who has come. And we heard over and over in Matthew, we're just in the sixth chapter. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. God's rule, his reign, his desires, being lived out in Jesus Christ. And while anxiety or being anxious or worried is is kind of the example Jesus is using, I think this is his main point here as he kind of wraps up this section of his sermon. That we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then God will take care of these things that are heavy on our heart. Throughout chapter 6 here. Jesus has been comparing our righteousness with God's righteousness. Jesus has come, this promised one, the Messiah has come to restore the kingdom of God. And here, in when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's inviting us to be a part of that. He says, come on, follow me, be the kingdom to these people, wherever you go, bring the kingdom of God, let them see it, taste it, touch it. We saw it in the mountain village where they experienced the kingdom of God and everything changed. And Jesus is going to compare that because then he says, and seek his righteousness. I love that we were talking to the kids about God's righteousness today. Jesus throughout chapter 6 has said, this is your righteousness. This is God's righteousness. Listen as he is, I'm going to walk through some of the verses in chapter 6. The first one, Stuart talked on this, Several weeks ago, and Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Hey, everybody, look at me. Hey, everybody, look what I'm doing. I'm good. I'm doing good things. Hey, everybody, look. at You are not. You are not. You are not. But look at me. I am. And Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before people because you want them to see it. He says, it's worthless. Your reward is like, whoa, look at that. And that's it. Listen to um, verse 5. Talking about prayer. And he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Huh. Isn't that interesting that he comes to this again? And then he talks about authentic prayer. He talks about authentic giving. But again, he's like, I love that we, Stuart, you painted a great picture and, and Drew picked up on it, this, the hypocrite, this actor, right? You put on a mask and go, hey, everybody, look at me. And all you are is an actor trying to make it look right, but you are only wearing a mask and you are a hypocrite. Verse 16, and when you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. They put on a mask that their fasting may be seen by others. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. A little weak, been fasting for a while. Why? Hey, everybody, look at my righteousness. Let me say this. It just struck me as I've been studying this week. Jesus is talking about our righteousness, and it is worthless. It has no power to push out the darkness of sin and the evil. No power. Why? I'm going to make a bold statement. I think it doesn't push out the darkness. I think it aligns with the darkness. And that, I thought of that. I thought, oh, what we think we're doing... I'm doing good things, I'm doing right things, but we do it for our righteousness, it aligns with Satan's darkness, because it has no power to push out the darkness, and it says, hey everybody, take your eyes off of God, look at me, look at me, let me tell you what you should and shouldn't do, let me tell you, look at me, I'm doing it right, everybody watch, and it takes the glory off of God, and he says, look, look at mine. And it pushes people away from the truth of the gospel. What's one of the number one things, complaint of religious people or people that go to church or Christians in general? Hypocrisy, right? And I hate to say it, but they're right a lot. Because if we're we're pursuing our righteousness, they see it as hypocrisy. And it is. That's what Jesus is saying. Now let's compare that with his righteousness. Because then Jesus here says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness, I have never thought of this, is relational. It's right standing. It is. It's doing the right thing. God always does and he calls us. But here's the thing. We don't stand before God and go, I'm trying to do the right things. No, we we are able to stand before God because of Jesus Christ, who died and said, give me your sin. Let me take it on the cross and crucify it with me. But it doesn't stop there, and he says, and take off, take my righteousness and clothe yourself in my righteousness, this great exchange, my sin for his righteousness. And when we stand before God, he sees Jesus Christ's righteousness, not our sin. So we can stand before this holy God in right standing and right relationship. And yet, we sin, and it breaks this relationship, and we're called to repent For the kingdom of God is near. We're called to turn from that. We're called to confess and say, take that from me. So that we are in right standing with God. Our heart aligns with His heart. Meaning our desires are His desires. What He grieves for, we grieve for. What He desires, we desire. What He wants us to say, we do it. That's seeking his righteousness. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? We can pray that. It happens because we live out his will here on earth. We desire it like he desires it. And I think that's what he's calling us to. And Jesus... In, in, a, in kind of a strange way, connects this seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness to being anxious. Why? I think what Jesus is saying is, here's a good litmus test. Here's a good thing, a filter. If you want to know where your focus is, How's your, how, how are you, are you worrying? Are you anxious? Because it kind of indicates where your focus is. And I don't like that. Because, like this week, Tuesday night, I was preparing a lot for, for this morning. And so I'm in the Word, I'm studying this, and I'm thinking, oh, ah. And I go to sleep, and I don't sleep well. It's, it's going through my head. I get up and I go to work and I was more anxious Wednesday morning than I've been in years. And I went, ah, uh, ah. Uh, God, how do I turn this off? Like, okay, go. Think of the birds, the flowers. Not working. And I think, God, but um, can we check your focus? Are you focused And seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, kind of. Okay, I think you're experiencing that not not where you should be, right? And it isn't a quick switch and like, okay, I'm focusing, I'm focusing. Come on, make it happen. No, this is a calling of, of who we are consistently, and when we feel that anxiousness, that worry, he goes, hey, over here, focus on the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then let me worry about these things. Let me, let me, let me share what I think not being anxious isn't, because I had to work through these things this week, and here's what I think it isn't. When he says, don't be anxious, I don't think he's saying, don't care. Sometimes we're like, oh, God's in control, la, 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 Nothing I can do, I don't care. I'm not going to worry, not going to worry. God's in, God's in control, not me, la, 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 la. I don't think he calls us to that. I think he calls us to focus on mission, not just give up our, our hands and say, whatever, I can't control it. No, you can't. No, you can't. But he calls you to be on mission, seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. So I don't think it means we don't care. I don't think it means we don't grieve. You know, sometimes people are going through hard things. I know there's a lot of people going through hard things right now. And sometimes we we, we get this attitude of, well, I could tell them what they should do. Well, it's their own fault. Oh, yeah, they're talking like this. And, and, and we act as if we don't care, but we also don't grieve. Somebody is going through something. A loved one is in, in the hospital or something's coming up and they're like, oh, I'm just, I'm so, I, it's so heavy on my heart. And we want to give them answers like, hey, God's in control. I heard a pastor talk about lament as being a good language of communication for people that are very different. Coming alongside and weeping with somebody that's weeping, listening, caring above all else. I saw the kingdom. Sorry, Kath, I didn't ask you, but I'm going to tell them this. I saw the kingdom of God being pursued this week in simple ways. We have a neighbor, a woman that's our age, and her mom lived with her and passed away just a couple months ago. And we know that that changes life in the house, right? She's a single woman. And Kathy was out the other night, reading her Bible out on the front porch. And so I came down to just go, hey, what are you doing? And I looked out the window and I saw our neighbor sitting next to her. Our neighbor had been walking and Kathy said, hey, how are you doing? Okay, why don't you come up here and sit? Women are so good at this, right? So much better than we as men usually are. And She said, come, why don't you come and sit? That That is not being anxious. That is helping somebody else's who is being anxious. Lament. Grief. Sometimes it means we get angry. Righteous anger. at injustice that's happening. And we don't get anxious. We try to respond as Jesus would respond. In the way he would respond. And I got to tell you, most of his anger was aimed at religious people. And it doesn't mean that we won't struggle. God calls us to do things that we don't go, sure, I'm in. He calls us to things that we're like, love your enemies. Don't be anxious. I'm trying not to. But I struggle. I know you do. Jesus on his way to the cross, that's what made me think about it. Jesus on his way to the cross really didn't want to embrace going to the cross, but he said, not not my will, but yours. So I will do it. I go, not being anxious doesn't mean we won't struggle with obedience, but he calls us to that. Let me finish up with a couple thoughts here. Um, In 2001, the U.S. Army changed their slogan to Army of One. Five years later, they changed it again, because I think they realized, okay, who who came up with that? (laughs) And I think it took five years, because they go, do you know how many millions of dollars we spent to rebrand everything? But they went, it goes against everything that we have committed to of being a team, right? Army of One, wait. Aren't we supposed to be a team? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, as a church, we are not an army of one. Praise God, we're not an army of one. We are the body of Christ. And I think Jesus connects being worried about these basic things that that you need with the body. Because he spoke to people that have stuff, and he's like, Hey, you that have stuff, don't store it up here on earth. Lay it up for heaven, right? Meaning use it for the kingdom. And so he's saying, hey, those that have, help those that don't. Use what God has given you for the body, because then they don't worry, because God knows what they need. Yesterday I was out mowing the lawn. I was listening to a podcast. Totally secular, totally two guys that are not believers, okay? Okay? And the conversation went to this, I'll summarize it, but it went to talking about our society and all that's going on and how do we even start to address this. And this was their conclusion. You know what would be really cool? If we stopped competing with each other and we desired to help each other. If we rejoiced, and they didn't use the word rejoice, if they were happy for somebody else's um, victories, For doing good. And if those that have could help those that don't. And when they get to a place that they can start getting, they help others that don't. And we would become this tight-knit community. All across our nation, we'd have these tight-knit communities that would be doing this. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And the conclusion by both was, oh, wouldn't that be sweet? And here's what I thought. They're embracing what Jesus has called us to as the body of Christ. And that's a good thing. It's in us. I think it's naturally part of God's creation to desire and want that. And here's the sad thing. They don't see it in the church. They think this is an idea that they have. And I go, this is what Christ calls us to. And yet they don't see it in the church So church, brothers and sisters, what do we do? What's our takeaway? What can we start to begin to do to not be anxious, but to embrace and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Here, here's a couple of things I have, but I would challenge you to not let these just drift off as you head out the door today. Think about these things. First of all, I think we need to honestly evaluate what is our righteousness Things in our life, personally and corporately, that are our righteousness. Things that we hold on to. Might be tradition. Might be this. Might be that. And we go, hey, look at this, everybody. And and it's our righteousness. And realize that really aligns with the evil one. And we need to purge it. I think as as believers, as followers of Christ, we can't tie ourselves to any other ideas, people, people political party, whatever, we need to focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's what Jesus said last week that I think is important. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That seems backwards, doesn't it? You would think he would say, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. But he says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And here's why I think he said it that way. I think he knows whatever you invest in, your heart's going to follow. One of the things I think we need to take away is, I don't have all the answers for everything. And so that can cause us to do nothing. But I think we need to start investing in the kingdom of God. And we ask God, what is your righteousness? What do you desire for our church, for our community, for our nation? Whatever it is, how do we say, this I know. I don't know everything, but I know that God desires this. And we're going to invest in that. And we're going to see if our hearts don't follow. Brothers and sisters. Let's start investing in the things of God and not in our righteousness. Would you pray with me, Father? Jesus, your words have have pierced my heart this week. Father, I think about so often how I like and we like to get on social media and broadcast our righteousness. Father, I pray that you would help us to honestly see anything in our lives that is focusing on us and what we want, our righteousness, help us to purge it, to hate it like you do, because it keeps us from pursuing your kingdom. Holy Spirit, help us to see what you desire. Help us to give us the power to pursue it Give us creative thoughts to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here. I pray that our society and our country would see the church in new ways because we are pursuing the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And I pray it would begin with me. I pray it would begin with us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.